I am Pastor Shante Charles, also Prophet Shante Charles, um, and we are continuing our series on Manifest Sons. We began this series talking about and learning about what a manifest son is, and then we um, went to and looked at the I am part of the manifest sons and being confident in who God has called you to be, taking our cue from the ultimate manifest son himself, Jesus the Christ. We're going to continue learning um, about Jesus and learning about how he responded to those who were in denial of his manifest presence. So our working definition uh, that we'll be looking at today is a manifest son is one who is clearly revealed to the eye or understanding, whose presence can be felt, who has the goods or the gift, one who operates as a descendant or joint heir of Christ or a son of God, who has given birth to something by wit, talent, prophetic skill, or natural intelligence. And so today, as we enter into a moment of prayer here, we're going to be going into John 8. So I ask that you prepare to join us in the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your loving kindness. Thank you for who you are in our lives. Thank you for, Father, for how you are keeping us. Thank you for how you are continuing to instill your truth in us. Thank you, Lord, for how you're continuing to give us your wisdom and your guidance on today. Now, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit, Father, lead this conversation. Give me the words to say and give me the words to share. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Father, be acceptable to you. For you are my God, you are my strength, and you are my Redeemer. In your Son, Christ Jesus' name. So, uh, good afternoon. Again, we are starting part three of Manifest Sons, and our topic today is belief. Belief, the key to truth and freedom. We're picking right back up in John chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading on from verse 21 to verse 30 today. Uh, We are going to continue in John 8 for another couple of sessions, but we are just doing... um, John 8, verses 21 through 30. So let's take a look at the text. I'm going to read it first in the Holman Christian Standard, and then I'm going to read it in the Message Bible. John 8, verses 21 through 30. Then he said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, He won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? they questioned. Precisely what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true, and what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, 
Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And we're going to stop right there for today. John 8, 21 through 30 in the Message Bible. Then he went over the same ground again. I'm leaving and you are going to look for me, but you're missing God in this and are headed for a dead end. There is no way you can come with me. The Jews said, so is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by you can't come with me? Jesus said, you're tied down to the mundane. I'm in touch with what is beyond your horizons. You live in terms of what you see and touch. I'm living on other terms. I told you that you were missing God in all this. You're at a dead end. If you won't believe I am who I say I am, you're at a dead end of sins. You're missing God in your lives. They said to him, just who are you anyway? Jesus said what I've said from the start, I have so many things to say that concern you, judgments to make that affect you. But if you don't accept the trustworthiness of the one who commanded my words and acts, none of it matters. That is who you are questioning, not me, but the one who sent me. They still didn't get it, didn't realize that he was referring to the Father. So Jesus tried again. When you raise up the Son of Man, then you will know who I am, that I'm not making this up, but speaking only what the Father taught me. The one who sent me stays with me. He doesn't abandon me. He sees how much joy I take in pleasing him. When he put it in these terms, many people decided to believe. So in this text, the main thing, the main key that we're looking at here is belief. Christ here begins to give what we would call a fair warning to the careless, unbelieving Hebrews to consider what would be the consequences of their actions that they might prevent it before it was too late. We know in the conversation prior that they are sort of questioning Jesus. They're asking about his paternity. And we know that the festival of lights has taken place and Jesus is standing there and he's saying, I am the light of the world. And we talked about last Sunday how him actually making that declaration was in essence him saying that I am God to say that he was the light. Um, And so here we see that Jesus moves and his voice begins to change from one of grace to one of truth and warning. Jesus continues to teach them in kindness and to those who would receive his doctrine, though we know that there were many that would resist it. We see at the end of, in verse 30, it says that many began to believe on Christ. But there were those who began to resist this doctrine. And this should be an example to all of us, especially those of us who are um, called to minister the truth or who believe that you're called to specifically um, minister the gospel, that this is an example to us to continue to go on with our work, notwithstanding opposition. Oftentimes we hear, you know, of Jesus teaching and we see, we hear about the miracles But oftentimes people don't focus on 
the opposition that Jesus was facing directly when he was preaching and when he was declaring who he was. It wasn't just about, you know, the, the multiplying of, of loaves and fish, right? It wasn't just about people being raised from the dead, but, but it was also Jesus telling them that this is who I am. This is what I have come to do. This is my purpose and people being in direct opposition to that. So we have to remember um, that ministry is not just all bells and whistles, right? It's not just all signs, wonders, and miracles. But when it comes down to the doctrine of Christ, when it comes down to proclaiming who he is, you are going to face opposition. But that shouldn't stop you, right? So here we see that even though there was opposition to who Jesus was declaring that he was, even in the midst of that, a remnant began to believe on him. Christ begins to declare a few things to them that I think we want to pay attention to. I was very eager to jump to the next section of this scripture, I must admit, but the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to slow down. (laughs) I want you to slow down and I want you to dive into what Jesus is saying here to those who think they know God, to those who are Abraham's seed, to those who would have been doctors and in, in, of the law, right? To those who would have had all of the all of the religious rituals down. He's telling them some things about themselves. The first thing he mentions is his departure. He says, I go my way. It shall not, I shall not be long before I go. They wanted him to leave anyway. They were like, We don't want to hear what you have to say. We don't think that you're legitimate. But it's one thing when you are trying to drive Christ away. It's another thing when Christ tells you, I'm about to depart because y'all not trying to hear me. (laughs) See, when Christ departs on his own volition and he sees that you're not willing to receive the truth, That's almost like what we would call the Ichabod moment, meaning the glory is gone. The glory is departed from you. Um, Christ is saying here, I'm trying to get a message across to you about who I am, but I see you're not receiving it. So I'm about to move on. But if I move on, there's no guarantee that I'm going to come your way again. This This is a moment that these particular people who have an opportunity to believe on him as he's presenting the message of who he is, they're missing the moment. And so when the glory is gone, when our defense is departed, when Christ goes, this is not a good thing for him to depart from their presence And they're still in a state of unbelief. Then he tells them another thing. He he basically tells them that you are going to become an enemy to me as the Messiah. Because when I go away, you're going to continue in these expectations of a Messiah. You're saying, who are you really? I'm telling you, I am the one that God has sent into the world to provide salvation. But if you miss me in this moment, 
you're going to still be looking for a Messiah after I'm gone. And we know that to be true because even to this day, you know, you have um, in the in the Hebrew faith, people who are still to this day looking for a Messiah, not believing that the Messiah has already come. So Jesus warns about this, that if I go my way, they're going to come other false Christs. They're going to come others that because you overlooked me as Messiah, you're going to readily tag onto that bandwagon of a Messiah because you overlooked me in your time of reckoning, in your time of awareness, in your time of awakening, in your time of having the opportunity to acknowledge who I am as the son of God, you're overlooking this moment. And because you're overlooking this moment, you're going to continue to search in vain for a coming Messiah when I've already come. So this is very important. Then he tells them, and I don't think many people preach on this, (laughs) but then he tells them, you shall die in your sins. And he says it more than once. Now, most of us know about I come that they may have life and they may have life more abundantly, but a lot of people don't focus on where Jesus is giving them the opportunity to receive him. And because they do not receive him, he says, you shall die in your sins. Now, this is a a translation error that I want you to take note of because here we think, oh, they're gonna die in their sins, plural except the original translation, the Greek translation is harmarchia hamun, which is singular. Jesus is saying you are going to die in your sin, singular. Well, what is that singular sin that they are presenting before Christ right now? It is the sin of unbelief. Those that live in unbelief are forever undone if they die in unbelief. So it wasn't just some some random thing that Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, it's not going to be those other transgressions that nail the coffin for you. It's going to be unbelief. Because without belief in Christ, you can't get the door opened. So he's telling them, it is this sin here, this sin of unbelief that is stopping you from receiving truth and ultimately stopping you from receiving freedom. And that is what's keeping you in bondage. It's unbelief. People say, what is that? that unforgivable sin, it's unbelief. Because if you do not believe, the door cannot be opened unto you for salvation. Many people have long lived in sin and are through grace saved by a timely repentance. But grace cannot open the door if you don't believe that he is who he says he is. So this is why Jesus is specifically addressing unbelief. Unbelief is what 
is keeping them out of freedom and it's keeping them from receiving the truth. They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That would be like me, okay? An architect comes to my house and says, I have a I have a plan or I have a design that I want to execute for your house. Here's the plans. Here's the, you know, the 3D drawing. He sits down. He shows me all of that. And then I say, no, thank you. Um, the plumber is coming. He's going to build it. Now, we would think that that would be ludicrous, right? For me to sit down with the architect who has the plan, who has the skill, who has the design, right? Who has the ability to build out what it is I say I want. But I resist the architect and I say, I'm going to go with the plumber. (laughs) But believe it or not, that's what we do when we reject Christ. We reject the architect of the universe and we go, sometimes we go with the plumber, also known as the enemy of our souls, because we don't believe the architect. We don't believe his plan. We don't believe what he has designed and he has constructed for us. And also, I will say this too. A plumber, their specialization is waste. So if you want someone who specializes in waste, then what actually are you saying about your life? Yep. The next thing that he shares with them, he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. If you die in this sin, if you die in unbelief, Where I'm going, you cannot come. Remember, when Christ left the world, he went to a state of of perfect happiness or what we would call paradise. He goes to paradise. He takes the penitent thief on the cross, cross with him who believes, okay, who does not die in his sins. He, Jesus tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the impenitent or those who are not willing to turn away from unbelief, not only cannot come with him, they cannot, not only shall they not come, but they cannot come. It is morally impossible for them to come. You cannot come because you would have no right to enter into that that new Jerusalem according to Revelation 22, 14. You don't believe it. That's what's making it impossible for you to enter in. It takes belief to enter in. So what do these people do? (laughs) Instead of trembling at this word, instead of trembling at the possibility that they're going to be without Christ for eternity, they turn it into a moment of ridicule. They begin to mock the Lord. And they try to turn him into a byword. What ill thoughts they begin to have at the meaning of Christ's words. They said to themselves, well, well, 
wherever he's going, is he going, wherever he's going, is he trying to kill himself? For we will never kill ourselves. Is he going to give us the Kool-Aid and send us over the cliff? They were completely making a mockery of the seriousness of what Christ was trying to tell them about their eternal state if they chose to remain in unbelief. So we're not the only ones who have preached this gospel and people have mocked it. Christ was mocked himself. Thus, they make him not just such a one as themselves, but worse. Almost insinuating that he is trying to lead them into a suicidal state. This would have been comparing him to someone like Jim Jones. insinuating that Christ was leading them into this off into this wild goose chase and leading them into a way of destruction when he himself was the light ironically historically when the Romans actually came in and brought calamity to the Hebrews with war many of them did in fact kill themselves in dis- in discontent and despair. It wasn't Christ that drove them to it. Let's look at verse 23 again. He said, "Whither I go, you cannot come." And here he starts to give them the reason for why they can't come. Why can't you come? He says, "You are from beneath I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You have your affections set on lower things. When your spirit and your disposition are directly contrary to the living word, how can you go anywhere that the living word is? Jesus is saying, your heart, your mind, your desires are in the wrong place. Jesus began to tell them, I am not of this world, but I am from above. Jesus, and only Jesus, really at this point, that we can say, Jesus was perfectly dead to the wealth and the temptations of the world. He was dead to the ease of the body. Jesus had been in some uncomfortable places. He was not living a life of ease. Even though many times that's what we're told um, is a sign of spirituality, living in wealth and living in a life of ease. Jesus was dead to the wealth of this world. He could not be bought He was dead to the ease of the body. He was also dead to the praise of men. You could not flatter Jesus into a good position. 
You cannot flatter Jesus to get a special seat next to him. How do we know this? Because the the mother of, of two of the disciples tried. Jesus could not be flattered. Jesus could not be bought. Jesus was not taken in by whether men praised him or whether men reviled him. He was the same. He was wholly taken up with the divine and the heavenly. How contrary their spirit was to Christ. Jesus said, you are from beneath and of this world. The Pharisees were of a carnal worldly spirit. They were vying for position, not only religiously, but they were also at the time vying for favor with the Roman government. So Jesus said, you are too caught up in what this world has to offer to even be able to ascend above what this world has to offer because you're too tethered to it. So what communion can we really have when you're tethered to this world in such a way that I'm not? So he tells them, you shall die in your sins because you are from beneath. You are operating in unbelief. He says in verse 24, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. What is he talking about? He's talking about if you don't believe that I am the I am, the I am that I am, that I am that I am, that your forefathers followed in the wilderness, If you don't believe that I'm he, you're going to die in your sins. Because, again, this is what your faith has been culminating up to. Your faith has said all this time that you are to look for the Messiah. So I'm telling you that I'm the fulfillment of everything that your scriptures and your text is speaking of. And you still can't see it. I am the fulfillment of what your forefathers told you about. I'm the fulfillment of what you go into the temple every day to claim that you're worshiping. But I'm standing before you and you can't recognize me. It was necessary that they believe that he was the I am that I am. Because if we have not this faith, then we shall die in our sins. We cannot be saved from the power of sin while we live if we do not believe in the I am. Nothing but the doctrine of Christ's grace will be a powerful argument enough and nothing but the spirit of Christ's grace will be an agent powerful enough to turn us from sin to God. How do you turn from sin? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Where does that power of the Holy Spirit come from? The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. So if you don't receive Christ, how are you receiving His Spirit? You can't say, I received the Spirit of Christ, 
but I deny everything about who Christ is. Mark 16 and 16 tells us the wrath of God remains upon those that believe not. Jesus was warning them of this wrath to come. Unbelief is the damning sin. It is the sin against the remedy. I'll say that again. Unbelief is the damning sin because it is a sin against the remedy. The remedy is belief. The sin is unbelief. So if you don't receive Christ, that is what damns you. It's unbelief because you're sinning against the very remedy that God has provided for you. So if we believe that Christ is who he says he is and we receive him accordingly, then we shall not die in our sins. It is Christ that causes the curse of the law to be vacated and annulled to everyone that submits to the grace of the gospel. Believers then die in Christ, in his love, in his arms, and so they are saved from dying in their sins because they have relinquished the very first sin, and that is the sin of unbelief. So who is he? Jesus says, I am the same that I have said to you from the beginning of time in the scriptures of the Old Testament. I am the same from the beginning that was said to be the seed of the woman that would break the serpent's head. I am the same that in all the ages of the church and who was the mediator of the covenant and the faith of the patriarchs. I am the bread of life. I am that living water. I am the light of the world. I am that I am, which is actually translated, I will be who I will be. So Christ says, I am one with myself. And what I said from the beginning I say still, I am the everlasting gospel. Not your liturgy, not your rituals, not your offering, not the priest that you admire. I am the everlasting gospel. Then Jesus tells them, I have many things that I can charge you with. But I'm not here to judge you yet. I come this time to bring redemption. I come this time to bring you hope. I come this time to bring you light. I come this time to bring you awakening in this moment. Jesus could have read them the laundry list of their sins. Instead, he focused on the one thing that would leave them eternally separated from him. And that was the sin of unbelief. Jesus was like, I can't even get to the other stuff because unbelief is really what is going to ultimately keep you out. You may have been one of the men that was with the woman that you threw down in front of me. 
and wanted me to stone her. You might have committed the adultery. You might be stealing from the temple treasury. But it's not those two that are going to ultimately eternally separate you from me. It's the fact that you won't even believe that I am who I say that I am. It's unbelief that's sealing your fate. As I begin to close, I want you to think about this. Jesus continues to tell them that he was not what is called autodidakatos or self-taught. Jesus is saying to them, everything that I'm trying to share with you, everything that I came to earth to present to you, I'm not just saying it because it's my words. I'm saying it because of Theodidakatos. I am taught of God. The doctrine that Jesus was coming to preach was the counterpart to the very counsels of God in heaven, which he was not only intimately acquainted with, But he said, I only not speak this just because this is who I am, but I've been in counsel with my father. And the same divine power that my father has, I have that same divine power. Jesus came to share heaven's counsel, but they were unwilling to believe that he could give heaven's counsel. They had an opportunity to hear what the father was saying, directly from heaven and they bypassed it. Jesus said, you might not be convinced of who I am right now, but when you have lifted up the son of man, when you have lifted me up on the cross, even as they did in with, with the old Testament, with the brazen serpent being lifted up under on the pole. He said, when you do that, when you elevate me, when you lift me up, Then you will know who I am. In my death, you will start to exalt me. In my lifting up, in my crucifixion, some of you will come to know me. But for some of you, it might be too late. When he was crucified, Jesus was then glorified they actually call this uh this particular lifting the ascent or the ascended one jesus became the ascended master as many people like to say they talk a lot of people talk about the ascended masters jesus came became the ascended master through crucifixion through a lifting up through a sacrifice of his life not through pop culture. It wasn't some some popular thing to be. He became the ascended one because he was lifted up on the cross through his sacrifice. So Jesus said, for some of you, you're not going to recognize who I am until I'm lifted up. We know that this is true because in Acts 2 and 36... The guilt of them putting Christ to death began to actually awaken their conscience and they began to cry out and ask, what should they do to be saved? And we know that through Peter's ministry in Acts that thousands of them came to Christ. But the last part, 
verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. What is going to be the key as a manifest son is going to be to stay in belief. One of the major things that is being attacked right now, I know people think it's physical church buildings. But one of the major things that's being attacked right now is the body of believers' belief in Christ. It's the belief in Christ that's being attacked. Because first, it starts with the corruption that we evidently see happening with ministers, with leaders, whether that be a mishandling of funds or or scandal or whatever. But then it has moved to the irresponsibleness that we see of people not using wisdom in churches. And now it has moved to the, the Christian nationalist movement attaching itself to the name of Christ, waving Jesus saved flags while at the same time doing everything against the spirit of Christ. All of these things ultimately come to not only cause you to waver in your desire and in your heart towards the institution which we know the institution is not the ecclesia but it's really an attack on your belief because if that isn't real then is God real? If that's corrupt, then is Christ corrupt? And so I want to encourage you as a manifest son to rehearse the words of Christ, to make sure you're in the word and you understand what Christ said and what Christ's nature is so that you are not drawn away into unbelief. Because unbelief, again, becomes the thing that shuts you out of eternity. Are there things that need to be reformed? Most definitely. Are there people who are um, pretending to be of God? Are there false brethren? Yes. Are there false apostles? Yes. But one thing there is, is a true Christ. So I want to encourage you to stay in belief. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. The multitudes perish in their unbelief, yet there is a remnant according to grace who believe to the saving of the soul. Sometimes there is a wide door open, an effectual one, even where there are many adversaries. Christ will carry on his work though the religious may rage against it. The gospel sometimes gains great victories where it yet meets with great opposition. So I encourage you that even if there is contention, that your labor is not in vain, that you continue to minister as God has called you to minister in this hour. I want to share with you uh, very briefly before I close, I want to share with you an example of that. I remember um, when I was in college, I was a campus preacher. 
and I would go onto the campus um, just about every single day, Monday through Friday, and I would minister the gospel in an open air environment. Um, simply just preaching the gospel outside, people would walk by, some people would stand and listen, some people would sit and listen, some people would ask questions. Um, I would have several times where it was contention. Some people would come up to me. I've been, I had been hit before. I had been spit on, um, ministering and and preaching the gospel on, on campus. And I did it for about, um, three, three and a half years. And I remember my last semester. It was my last semester before I was graduating. And it was my last course that I had to take before, you know, I could graduate. And I remember going into this classroom and sitting down and a young lady coming and sitting next to me. And she said, do you remember me? And I was like, no, I don't think I've ever seen you before. And she said, well, I was one of the people that would come and I would watch you preach the gospel. And she said she did it for about a year. And she said, I would see how people would respond. You know, some people would tell you off. Some people would cuss you out, you know. And I think she was there the time that the person came and spit on me. And she said, I noticed how none of those things deterred you from sharing the gospel. You were just consistently out there um, sharing the word of God. And she said, I want you to know that I gave my life to the Lord as a result of hearing the word preached. She was an atheist and I was excited just about that part. But then she went on and she said, not only did I give my life to the Lord, but I also led my husband and my children to Christ. And we're now attending a Presbyterian uh, ministry. And this was back back in Florida. I say that to say, you don't know who you're going to touch. You don't know whose life you're going to impact simply by speaking the truth of the word of God. You don't know who is going to be impacted by your consistency to preach the truth, whether or not that person is hearing you in the moment or whether they're hearing the word and they're allowing that word to sink in. They're meditating on what you said. They come back and listen to what you said. So again, I encourage you to make sure that you're faithful in staying in belief, but also that you're faithful in sharing the word of the Lord. Remember, following Christ is what sets us free from serving sin. Jesus tells them a very interesting thing. He tells them, I have seen people who are free from sin. In the presence of my father, there are people who have been set free from sin. Remember, it is the nature of the enemy to steal, kill, destroy, and lie. These people were so entrenched in religion. They were so entrenched in ritual that when the real thing showed up, they could not recognize it. Remember that the nature of God is to supply, it is to give life, it is to immerse you in the truth, and is to build you up spiritually. 
always remember what the nature of God is and that will help you understand whether or not you're walking in the nature of God or you're walking in the nature of something else. Remember, staying in belief is the key to both truth and freedom. Only you can decide if you want truth and freedom or lies and bondage. Apostle, thank you for allowing me to share. Bless our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Oh my God, this is a powerful message today. Um, I'll be quick. The thing that is so tremendous for me with this uh, discussion is belief, as she iterated so eloquently throughout this message with Prophet Shante. But what happens is, the thing that drives me so much is Ichabod, when she brought that term up, when Jesus Christ tries to present himself and you don't want to believe him, you mock him, and he says, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. That means everything that he has, his grace, his mercy, his love, his open doors, his access to, to the Heavenly Father, all that disappears with him. So we literally in 2021 have seen the Ichabod moment in Western civilization where Christ has tried to has presented himself, his fullness through his prophets and apostles. And what happens is uh, Western civilization wants to murder, has murdered the apostles' voice and the prophet's voice in order to be Pharisaic in their denial of Christ and in their embrace of Western civilization over Christ. So this is something that we are in a dangerous moment. And as she said so eloquently earlier, is that the unbelief, the singularity of unbelief is the sin that cannot be returned. I mean, a point of no return. Because when you don't believe, you reject Christ. And when you reject Christ, you reject the door. When you reject the door and he closes that door as it was with those 10 virgins when he came, the ones who had their candles and everything ready, they went in. But the those who did not have things ready, banging on the door, trying to get in, they could not come in. So understand today, there is, there is this, uh, an array of hope in the midst of all the chaos going on in the United States of America and the world. Whereas we know that Christ has come and those who are prepared with his spirit have his life and go forward with him, believe in him. There's a way out of the nonsense. But those who are sleeping, who are delusion, who are uh, in a dream state that with nationalism and all these other things using the name of Jesus without accepting the belief of Jesus and who he is, that door is being closed. Kabunk. Ichabod. And when Ichabod is there, like she said earlier, a whole array, legions upon legions of false, deceptive spirits come to destroy everything where Christ is not located. So that we must understand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, um, I just want to close because this was a good message to soak in. You want to just Go throughout the week and just rehearse some of these messages 
um, revisit some of these studies and the revelation that God has been giving is amazing. One thing I thank God for is that when God called us to the ministry on June 21st, 1997, literally within a year of that calling, God has been speaking to us about his spirit, about belief, and what not to believe. We've done this for like 24 years. So everything that's happening today is no surprise. We had visions, we had dreams, we had intense revelations, we had prayer vigils, we had studies, we visited um, all kinds of places where oppression has occurred in order to show people that the things that have transpired and that are going forth now are literally of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has taken on the image of light. <coughs> Excuse me. When you have one of the leading, uh, quote unquote, spirit Christian voices in America says that to embrace an impeached individual is like betraying Jesus, you know Ichabod is in full effect. So do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Christ is here. His door is open and your belief gets you in. And what are you getting into? You're getting into goodness and mercy. In Christ we live. In Christ we move. In Christ we have our being. So therefore, being, doing, living, and strength, and all things. We can do all things through Christ. That's the door that's open for us, for us to walk into. We can do all things. We can just surmount these insurmountable odds of white nationalist, Christian nationalist idolatry. We can come across that. We can go into this new door of life now that we have an agitator of darkness being put at bay. But the key is the open door of Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. I give life. I give life more abundantly. So that life, that abundance of life is what we get today by believing. Hallelujah. Those who don't believe, there's ways for you to believe. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not Western civilization's images. And accept him as Savior and Lord. Confess him in your heart. Believe him like the door and you will enter into the kingdom. John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5. Read those, get into it. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah, God. We thank you, Lord, for this message today. We ask that you would let the word go deep into the hearts of the believers. God, those who are unbelief, who are on the fence of unbelief, we pray, Father, that you would ah, have your spirit nudge them into the door of belief in Christ and not mock him. Those who have sinned greatly, who have walked in unbelief, that you will do a transformation so that they will not be lost. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we bless you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Have a good day. Uh, it's a beautiful Sunday. It's the last Sunday before the inauguration of uh, President-elect Joe Biden. Be safe out there this week. Uh, the sin enemy seeks who he can devour. So, Continue to have the blood on your doorposts, have goodness and mercy around you, have Christ with you, and walk in wisdom on this week, okay? Discernment. And discernment. If the Spirit is saying go or don't go, listen, because it could be a difference between life and death. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Amen.